This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio today. Got uh, a lot of stuff to talk about on today's program, including tech for road trips. Summer vacations are coming up. What are some uh, great tech items for traveling and road trips? Well, we've got the lowdown on that uh, for you. And also, how to keep track of all your passwords. We have a special app uh, that can look after uh, all of that. Before we get there, of course, uh, we always like to cover the latest uh, in tech news. And uh, Graham uh, Ikea is uh, getting into uh, into lighting, LED light bars. Yeah, so Ikea's been doing LED bulbs for a while. Um, they've actually got a really neat little setup where they've got some dimmable bulbs, they've got some uh, some long life bulbs. And so these light bars, they basically look like cold cathode fluorescent lamps. Um, there's a company out there called Quasar Science that sells something very similar in a dimmable version that's about 300 bucks Canadian. Um, and these guys here are rolling in at 29 and $49 uh, Canadian uh, for some really good-looking, powerful bulbs that are great both for home or for work. So these look like fluorescent light tubes. Do they work in the fluorescent light tube uh, boxes or no? They, do, they don't actually uh, snap into the ballast. No. Okay. So basically you can install these things just about anywhere. You could, reasonably speaking, retrofit a ballast for uh, for one of these things. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool looking bulb. I, I saw this and went, this is something that uh, if you if you haven't seen them, uh, you probably should take a look for them. They're, uh, they're, they're pretty neat. Uh, yeah, looking at some of the pictures, I guess you can get pretty creative on how you uh, put these on your wall or stack them together. Yeah, and, and I mean, one of the things I was sort of uh, banding about with, uh, I'm, I'm part of a maker community, and uh, so we were looking at this and thinking, you could wrap these things in colored gels and have some really cool, funky light installations in your home. Very neat stuff. It's the Spanced LED. Talking about uh, most popular websites uh, in the world or in the U.S., what do we have? So uh, Reddit has actually just passed Facebook as the number three most popular website in the United States. Uh, so They've passed Reddit has passed Facebook. They have, yeah. Now this is most I mean, normal people don't really know what Reddit is, and, and so that's changing though, right? We're starting to see quite a bit more traffic out there. So if you haven't been to Reddit.com, it's basically a place where news is aggregated. Uh, there is a front page where uh, basically there are some default categories that news is, is um, basically categorized into. Uh, but you can also sign up for an account and then customize your homepage, which is a very cool thing to do. Reddit has recently just started to include personal pages, though. Um, and people are saying that they're probably looking to make a move into becoming a social network. Uh, the interesting thing about that is, you know, this this whole uh, Reddit uh, community basically is based around finding new stories, posting them, commenting on them. Um, there is some questions right now as to whether or not uh, the site was compromised back in 2016. Uh, by uh, certain foreign entities. So it's kind of interesting, but their traffic numbers have just been soaring in the last little while. And uh, there's, a, there's a great Vancouver subreddit. There's a great Toronto subreddit. Uh, so if you are looking for something local, uh, you can probably find something uh, related to your city. New Westminster actually has a great little one too. This was an interesting story. Uh, I don't know if you saw this one, Graham. Uganda passes a tax law on social media users to curb gossiping online. I love the sound of this. So they are looking to impose a uh, 200 shilling, which is about five cents levy per day on people who are using social media platforms. Uh, so, uh, you know, things like Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp. I, I don't know how they would ever enforce something like that. 
Uh, well, I mean, it, it might actually just be through like IP addresses. So if your device is connected to that, maybe there's a, a small tax that goes on to it. I, I think there should be additional taxes, like uh, maybe an additional 25 cents for every time you engage in vague booking and just, you know, sort of throw some sort of statement out there without justifying it to your friends and family. <laughs> I think that's a solid one. Um, if, you, uh, if, you, if you post at two o'clock in the morning, uh, maybe there's like a three or $4 surcharge because quite frankly, you should be in bed, that kind of thing. You know, I, I could see maybe, you know, mileage pricing here on social media. That would be uh, a decent way to, to curb some of the nonsense that we see. Okay. This next story, um, kind of a big one. Canon, uh, big camera maker. Canon has ended sales for its last film camera. This is a little nuts. I mean, uh, we all knew the day was coming, and quite frankly, I thought the day was well past, but uh, apparently they were still making film cameras. I've actually got a Canon Rebel TI. Yes. Um, which was, I, I mean, as uh, digital as DSLRs were starting to rise up, I was uh, still very much into film photography. Uh, so I, I bought a Rebel TI, and, you know, I still use it every once in a while. Um, you can you can get film online, you can get it developed, so it's, it's still kind of a fun format to play with. Uh, Mostly right now, I'm actually using my uh, my Fuji Instax camera. Right, you've got one of these as well, right? Uh, yeah, my daughter has, I think, several of these. <laughs> they really like they're like the old Polaroid cameras. Yeah, and so they they had sort of this rectangular format that they were doing for a while. They actually rolled out a square format last year, and there are two cameras now. One just came out a couple of weeks ago um, that do the square format as well. So if you like more of a you know square Polaroid style, uh, the Fuji Instax actually has one like that. It's a it's a really cool little format, and it's sort of the immediacy of it and uh the, you know the permanence of it and then the fact that it's you know there's just all there's only gonna be one it's scarce so there's a lot of cool features about that but canon bidding farewell to film let's uh we we salute you kind of an end of an era i didn't even know they made film cameras still uh i guess it's just one model the eos uh 1v and uh that was actually launched back in 2000 mm-hmm. uh but uh, they continued, uh, they actually ceased making them back in 2010, but they still had a lot of stock left. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Nikon still sells two film cameras, the F6 and the FM10. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, Nikon camera owners are very passionate about Nikon. They love the brand. And I think a lot of Nikon film shooters, you know, from their cold dead hands, really, I think is really where it goes to. They're, they're not going to give up this format, nor should they. I mean, they've found a way to make it far more environmentally friendly now. So it's a, it's a good way to go about it. It was so amazing when digital cameras starting to become, uh, I guess, accessible. I remember back in the 90s, I used to work in a computer store, Doppler Computers, uh, uh, you know, across uh, False Creek. And uh, we got in these Logitech digital cameras. And it was just amazing that <laughs> you could take a picture and see it right away. The, the cameras were $1,200, and looking back, those were the crappiest pictures ever because the resolution was next to nothing, but it was just like, it was like magic. Oh, yeah. I, I was actually part of a project called the Blair Project, not the Blair Witch Project, uh, but it was mapping the town of Blair in Ontario, which was the oldest inland community. Um, and so we actually, with Sony Mavicas and some Kodak cameras and you know entry-level HTML, we basically built a Google Maps of that town where you could walk through it and it would load pictures uh, 360 degrees where you could look around. This is back in 1999, I think. Oh my God. Can you just imagine all the work that you did for that mm-hmm. and how you could do it with like one, one thousandth of the effort now? <laughs> I, I mean, these things we, we shot to floppy disks. It, you, you were not kidding. The amount of work that went into this was just absolutely insane. And it's all... You know, you send a car with a camera on top and it's done in five minutes now. I was at my uh, father-in-law's place uh, 
or the past uh, couple days here, and uh, he he had an old Sony digital camera that uh, not only accepted Sony's memory stick. Remember that stupid thing? Yep. Uh, but floppy disks. Yeah, the Mavica. It yeah, it shot right to a floppy disk. Yeah. Those are the, those are the ones that we were using, and you got you know maybe 10, 15 images on there. And it's funny now, you know, you take a look at the the first and, camera. Yeah, they I were had. crappy. The images are crappy. <laughs> I had a I had a Canon uh, digital Elf. Yes, what was it called the S one hundred. Oh, those are great though in the, at, at the time. They were bulletproof, right? They're made yeah. of metal. They took compact flash, and I bought a thirty two gigabyte chip to go with it, which I think was a hundred dollars at the time, and it got you thirty or forty pictures. And you look at 32 your megabyte, right? Right, and because it was a two megapixel, two times optical zoom. Yeah. And when you take a look at pictures nowadays that come out of your iPhone ten, you know they're fourteen gigabytes for one picture. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I love it. Absolutely love it. But anyway, so uh, cameras. Uh, Film cameras gone. Yep. Uh, I can't pronounce this. this Xiaomi. Thing. Xiaomi. They have a, a transparent Mi8 with an in-display fingerprint sensor. So the fingerprint scanner is right in the screen. Yeah. So we're we're starting to see, you know, whether or not fingerprint will still continue to be a thing. Uh, this phone also has 3D face unlock. Now the rumor has it that Apple is around two years ahead of their competition with their 3D face technologies. So we might see Android continue to push. Um, the, uh, the the fingerprint in the meantime, uh, this thing the uh, the my eight, uh, it basically looks like an iPhone ten. Oh my god, it looks identical. Yeah, if there's one thing that Xiaomi is phenomenal at doing, they're almost as good as Samsung at it is copying Apple. Uh, yeah, so. no kidding, eh? <laughs> and it's shameless. Like I think at this point, Apple's really just resigned to well, you know what? It's going to happen, so we're just going to have to, you know, stay on the gas and stay ahead of these guys design wise, and they can catch up to us every six to eight months. Atari's retro console launches pre-orders and uh, crashes Indiegogo, the site uh, where you could pre-order. I might have pre-ordered one of these. So this is the. Did Atari, you actually pre-order one? Yep, the Atari VCS. I got the wood grain. Um, it is a very cool little uh, device that's going to run Linux. So this is kind of feels a little like um, I can't even remember the name of the console now. It was the little cube block one that I it ran Android. And I kickstarted that thing. Oh, yes. I remember you were really excited about that. Yeah, and it showed the up Ulam- and it was no, like... No, it was, that's, that's something else. It was just a bad Android phone <laughs> yeah. in a box. Uh, but uh, they're saying that they will run PC games. Um, they will have over 100 Atari classics built into it. And they've revamped the Atari joystick. So it's the same, you know, single stick, single button joystick that we used to love. Uh, it now has an LED ring. It's got Bluetooth. It's completely wireless. I'm actually really excited for this. This is a this is a silly little trip down memory lane. Uh, I'm excited to play all because I mean I still have my 2600. I've got a full collection of cartridges that all work, uh, but the experience on my 70. So you still have a console? I still have one, yeah. And it works. Oh yeah, no, I had to I had to like retrofit a power cable for it, uh, but because it had this it was a 2600 Junior. Well, it still is a 2600 Junior. It had this weird like uh, stereo mini connector. Uh, that it uses for power. So I had to like hack together a cable when my power supply died. Uh, but uh, this, yeah. This thing is 300 US. It's $300 US. Uh, comes with the uh, arcade stick. You can buy another arcade stick for another 29 bucks, or you can buy a, uh, a controller for about 49 uh, The two of them together, I think, is a $59 bundle. Um, so if you want to have more than one player, you can do that. And uh, yeah, it's a really cool looking little console. You can get one with wood grain. Or without. Well, you'd have to get the wood grain one. Um, the design's actually really cool in this. They've done a series of, I think they were 3D printed ribs 
uh, to make the make up the body of it. So it's not like a unibody construction. This is actually like a modular construction to give it that ribbed feel that the 2600 had back in the day. I, I dig this. I think it's fantastic. I'm I'm super stoked for it. So what's the cheapest one you can get? There's a whole bunch of different bundles here. So about two, uh, two, 199 199 yeah. No, that, no joystick or anything. No joystick, yeah. So you buy your joystick separately. So 229 would be- 200 bucks. Yeah. And you're playing old Atari games. In, but you get 100 of them. You get 100 of them. And they, they have been uh, obviously- like the emulator engine that they're using for this, it's it's I guess not even emulated. It's native to this now at this point, um, and it apparently looks really really good. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, more tech to talk here on the program. We've uh, also got our our road trip tech selection as well. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo here in studio. Still lots of tech to talk today, including uh, what type of tech gear to bring on your next road trip or uh, your airplane trip. Well, I want to talk about uh, hacking once more. Uh, this week here, uh, BMO and CIBC announced uh, that uh, they were hacked through their uh, Simply uh, banking partnership. On the line, we've got uh, Howard Solomon. Uh, he is an IT world tech reporter. Thanks for joining us, Howard. Hi, good to speak to you, Mike. Uh, so what are we looking at here? Well, although no organization is immune from a, ter- a determined cyber attack, Canadian banks have a reputation for being well aware of the threats. However, apparently hackers were able to get into the Bank of Montreal and the online bank of the CIBC called Simply Financial and steal some customer information. And then they tried to extort $1 million from each bank, threatening that uh, if they didn't pay up, the records would be made public. And then criminal could uh, use the information to steal their identities. Now, understandably, the banks aren't giving any details. They're still investigating. But the hackers claim to have customer names, account numbers, and social insurance numbers. This is a big blow to the reputation of Canadian banks. Do we know how the hackers got in? Uh, No. And and again, understandably, the banks are closed-mouthed. Among other things, I'm sure they're worried about uh, customers suing. The hacker, or hackers, uh, did send a message to some media suggesting that one of their techniques was to get account numbers through a, a sophisticated algorithm, and then they used that to get into accounts by convincing the bank to change users' password. Now, if that's true, then the banks have a lot of explaining to do about the security of their password reset system. No kidding. Uh, What was the bank's response? Well, they did the right things, including uh, shutting down access to suspect accounts, resetting passwords, monitoring accounts for suspicious activity. Um, But it's still a black mark. What can anyone with a bank account do? Well, for one thing... Make sure you don't have a password that someone can guess easily. And another thing is to ask the bank that has two-factor authentication to verify that you're the one calling or making an online change to your account. Well, it's interesting. I mean, uh, Canadian banks are some of, uh, I guess, uh, one of the more trusted institutions here in this country. Do you think we'll see this again in the future? Oh, there's no doubt that there will be, in the future, uh, uh, more hacks of Canadian banks. Uh, Fortunately, it appears that they're not very common, although 
um, banks don't have to uh, report as publicly as they do in the United States. Starting in November, there's going to be a mandatory breach notification um, uh, regime that comes into effect in Canada, and banks will have to notify the privacy commissioner. Then the privacy commissioner will be making a public report um, we're still going to be a year away from seeing those uh, an analysis of those uh, breach reports, and then we'll we'll really know how bad data breaches are in Canada. Makes you wonder how many smaller breaches that we never hear about. Oh, exactly. That's that's very true. That's very very true, uh, especially among companies that are not publicly traded. We're talking with Howard Solomon from IT World Canada about the uh, uh, attempted uh, data breach of uh, BMO and CIBC's uh, partnership, Simply Financial. Uh, looks like uh, tens of thousands of accounts were potentially uh, hacked into, and uh, I guess the uh, the takeaway here is uh, simply make sure that you have a bulletproof password. We'll actually be talking more about that later on the program with the folks over at OnePassword.com. Howard, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. Again, Howard Solomon from IT World Canada. We still have a lot more to talk about on today's program, including the 1Password folks. And if you are doing any traveling this summer or going on a road trip, we've got some really cool tech uh, ideas and items for you to uh, check out from our friends over at London Drugs. If you're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network, we'll be back shortly after this. We're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Well, uh, summer is coming, and so are road trips. And, of course, we're a tech show. So we wanted to talk with some of the experts at London Drugs on tech you need while on the road. On the line, we've got our friend Matt Giroux from London Drugs. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Thank you. So uh, a lot of people take road trips. Uh, back in my day, the only thing I had were comic books. Uh, things have changed quite dramatically. Uh, what are some uh, popular things that people can use uh, while they're on the road? So it all depends if you're going to go on the road or going on the plane, too. Uh, we all do a lot of different types of traveling. Um, you know, if you're traveling on a plane, one of the kind of the coolest things that we have that I personally use that's helped me out a lot is the Tile Bluetooth Tracker. Uh, it's a small little tag. It's about the size of a uh, guitar pick, um, maybe a bit larger than that. Um, there's three different ones. You can get them that will fit on your keys. You can get them that fit in your wallet, or you can get them that fit on your luggage. Uh, and it's basically a Bluetooth device that you can, uh, sorry, Bluetooth and GPS device that you can use uh, your phone or your tablet with, and you can see where your luggage is. So if your airline loses it, or if you forgot your keys somewhere, then you can just log on with your phone and get a GPS location for it. I love that I actually have uh, Tile on my keychains, and I love that I can actually send a little signal to it to uh, do a little alarm so I can uh, locate yeah. those keys under the couch, uh, or I guess in this case, uh, in the airport somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So those guys start at 25 bucks and they go all the way up to 80 depending on which one that you get. Very cool. What else you got? Uh, well, um, you know, for uh, the active hikers out there, uh, myself included, uh, we got a lot of uh, solar battery packs. Um, so these guys are great. Um, for myself, what I do is, uh, you know, a three-day hiking trip in the woods. You know, I want to take a lot of photos, you know, fly the drone around, uh, but batteries die. 
So the solar panels, they're small, they're light, but they pack a lot of power to them as well. Um, we sell three different models. You can get ones that are smaller, uh, that are really designed just to charge your phone. You can get ones that are a little bit larger, so you can char- charge a phone or a tablet. Or you can get ones that just hold your standard AA and AAA batteries. Uh, but they work great. Uh, normally takes about you know, about four or five hours of direct sunlight, and you can get a full charge on your phone for that. That's, um, not, the th- way that- that's not bad. I remember in the old, like these solar chargers have been around for a while, but they didn't work so yeah. good in the old days. But these new ones seem to really uh, have upped their game. That's right. Yeah, for sure. So they charge a battery pack. Uh, so while you're hiking uh, or while you're driving, plug your battery pack into the solar panel, and then you can charge your phone at night. Very cool. What else you got for the listeners out there uh, for uh, traveling and on the road? Well, uh, GPS units for your car, um, you know, your standard North American ones, uh, but we have one unique one where it actually uh, provides you with all of Europe's maps as well as North America. Uh, so those guys cost you a 249 So if you're going to be doing a trip in, uh, in somewhere in Europe, those guys uh, are a really good option for you there. That's a, a, uh, that's a good thing. I know uh, some, some of my friends, uh, they have, uh, you know, GPS devices for their cars, and uh, they've gone traveling uh, over in Europe, and yes, they don't have the European maps on there. They had to, uh, in many cases, download and buy the apps, which or the maps, which exactly. uh, they get expensive sometimes. Yeah, definitely can. Uh, so it's nice that this one already has them all preloaded for you. Very cool. We're talking with uh, Matt Giroux from London Drugs, uh, all about tech for traveling and on the road. Uh, what other kind of things you got for us, Matt? So we all know hotels. Staying in hotels, they'll give you your uh, wired Ethernet. Uh, connection for free, but if you want wireless, then you got to pay a little bit extra for that. And you know, I don't know about you, but I don't think I have any devices that I actually plug into the internet anymore. Uh, so one thing that we sell in the computer department at Lundrugs is the IOMagic Wi-Fi Traveler. Uh, so it's kind of uh, hitting two birds with one stone. Um, it is a world power plug, so it's actually going to adapt, you know, uh, your North American plug into a Europe plug or uh, any sort of plug. Uh, but it also has a small, low-power Wi-Fi router attached to it, too. Uh, all of this is in a box that's about 2 inches by 2 inches. You just plug it into the wall, you take your Ethernet cable from your hotel room, plug it into that, and then you have a very small, localized Wi-Fi network that you can use uh, for your uh, smartphone or tablet or laptop. Very cool. Matt, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. That was Matt Giroux from London Drugs talking about uh, cool tech for on-the-go road trips and traveling uh, this summer. When we come back, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Do you have a hard time remembering the 3 million passwords for all the different uh, e-commerce sites and apps and just general uh, programs that you're using? Well, we've uh, got a solution for you. On the line, we've got Michael Fay from Agile Bits, the makers of 1Password. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. It's good to be here. Yeah, tell us about 1Password. Uh, we've chatted before in the past about it, but I, I like talking about it because it just makes things easier for us who uh, can't seem to remember 100 passwords. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I get asked this question pretty regularly, and, and I have a bit of an elevator pitch that, that, that I like to give people. And it's, 
you know, everyone has passwords for all the sites they log into, obviously. Um, and if you're not using a password manager to create strong, unique passwords for all those sites, you're probably making the mistake of using the same password everywhere. And while you probably trust your bank to have good, you know, bank-level security over, over your online account, and you can trust that it's not going to be, to be breached or, or exposed in some way, the place where you order your coffee might not have those same, you know, stringent set of, of, of uh, you know, protections in place. And if your coffee retailer gets breached and your password is exposed and your username is exposed, well, now that same person, that same attacker can easily get into your bank. And that's where 1Password comes into place. Uh, with 1Password, you, you create a single password, your 1Password. Uh, you, only you know it. It is never sent anywhere. And behind it, in the 1Password app, you get to store all of your different passwords. And 1Password helps you create strong, unique passwords. So now your bank password is different from your coffee retailer password, is different from your Facebook password, your Twitter password. And what this does is that inevitably when there is a breach at one of these places, you only have to go and change your password in that one place and not worry that your entire online life was blown up and exposed. And so that's, one password really is a tool that everyone needs. It's, it's, it is not, there is no niche for, for this app, which is kind of a, a neat thing. But, you know, this is something that everybody actually needs. And so how, how does it actually work? Uh, can you run our listeners through that? Sure. So, you know, when you're first getting started with 1Password, uh, we'll, you know, we'll just say on your, on your desktop computer, you install it. It integrates with your web browser, and as you begin to use it, as, as you begin to log into your different websites like you do normally, 1Password will come up and it will ask you, hey, do you want to save this username and password in 1Password? And you just say yes. And naturally, over time, you start to build up a collection of, of your usernames and passwords for all your different sites in 1Password. And then eventually, after you've gotten a good collection of them in there, you can actually go in and, and run a security audit tool, and you can see... Uh, where your passwords are, are not strong enough. Uh, you can see which passwords you're reusing at different sites, and you can go in and start to change those passwords and, and correct them. And then what's really cool is ideally you're creating passwords that you don't know. You only know your one password. And because one password integrates with your web browser, you're actually using one password to log you in. So when you go to your bank, uh, instead of typing in your username and password, you just click on the one password icon and it puts your username and your password in for you. And it is, you know, it securely logs you in and, and you're good to go. What if I'm at a coffee shop though? Like I'm, I'm not on my own computer. When you're not on your own computer, it, it can be, uh, you know, absolutely. That is, that is the wild west in terms of, of security. And, and everyone sort of needs to, to understand the risks that they take when they use public computers. But, you know, we do have a great, iPhone app, so you can certainly bring up uh, one password on your on your iPhone app or on your on your Android device and take a look at your passwords and type them in uh, type them in manually by hand. Uh, just make sure that you you know log out afterwards and that you trust the computer that you're using. You know, a big a big part of being safe online is sort of knowing your computing environment, uh, approaching it with a with a healthy dose of skepticism and and understanding sort of the risks you're taking when you're, when you're using certain, certain environments. And certainly a public computer at a coffee shop, uh, I'll be frank, is not one that I would want to use. But <laughs> I understand that people do it. Uh, what kind of pricing are we looking at for this, uh, this service? 
So one password is two ninety nine a month for individuals, four ninety nine a month for a family of five, and it's really great because with that type of pricing, you're getting one password on all your devices. So you get you know one password for Mac and Windows and Android, iOS. Uh, we have a really great uh, extension for the Chrome web browser that actually integrates uh, a little bit stronger and talks directly to our service there. Uh, that's available for Firefox as well, uh, and you get free updates. Or as long as your, your membership is active. It's really great. We just released One Password 7 for Mac, which is our first big paid upgrade in about five years, and, and everyone who's using One Password with a membership got that just as part of their, part of their membership. Well, uh, that sounds uh, like a, a lot easier uh, than trying to remember all the passwords. Uh, I know so many people uh, that use the same password for literally uh, everything, which, uh, like you were saying, is a, a huge uh, security risk. Again, we're talking with Michael Fay from Agile Bits about one password, one password app, I guess, to rule them all. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. Absolutely, Mike. Anytime. When we come back, more tech to talk here and get connected. Stay tuned. Before we get to our app of the week, I uh, want to look at uh, some cool apps uh, from a Canadian company. Uh, apps that can make uh, combinations of pictures and videos. On the line, we have Mark Pavlidis from Flixel. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thanks for having me. I uh, want to talk uh, a little bit uh, not only about uh, your company, Flixel, and some of the apps you uh, create, but also uh, the big uh, Worldwide Developer Conference uh, coming up uh, next week with Apple uh, as well. Uh, as, a, as a developer, um, is this something that you go to on a regular basis? Uh, yeah, I've been, uh, I think, eight out of the last 10 years. So. And, and what do you get out of it? biggest thing that uh, we get out of it for a developer is having access to the uh, Apple engineers. Um, so all the sessions are now available online, and they're even sometimes available the same day. But another component of the, of, the, of the conference is lab time with the Apple engineers that are working on kind of the other side of the APIs that we, that we as developers write against. Um, so you're you're able to ask questions and get access that you would otherwise not normally be able to get at all, ever, um, aside from this one week during the conference. So you're essentially cornering all these poor engineers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. It's like we're having these problems, uh, but it's completely uh, unvalid, like, uh, um, priceless in terms of, of what we get out of it, because we could sit there and toil for days, weeks, or even months uh, trying to solve a problem and because they're responsible for the other side, uh, they can easily say, no, you're doing that wrong. Or, yeah, we know that's a problem. You should really just do it this way, you know, that type of thing. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, that, uh, that is one of the, the, the biggest things. Uh, one of the other ones is just being able to, to meet other fellow developers. Uh, there's a, uh, um, it's kind of the, the Super Bowl event of, for developers where everybody is, everybody's watching, everybody's keeping, keeping track of what's going on, and a lot of developers, even though they're not attending, uh, still show up in town and do a lot of the other social events to get to know each other and talk about everything that we're working on. Well, let's talk about your company, uh, Flixel. Uh, what are some of the apps uh, that you guys uh, have out there? Sure. Uh, at Flixel, we make magical tools for visual storytelling. Our, uh, our flagship app is called Cinemagraph Pro. Uh, so Cinemagraph is this hybrid between photo and video. So I guess uh, radio is the theater of the mind. So if you could just imagine a nice, beautiful photograph, and then there's this element of motion that repeats over and over again. So I think like waves crashing, but then a bird that's still, uh, that juxtaposition between moving and still. So Cinemagraph Pro makes that really simple and easy to create this new visual medium. And so why would people want to create one of these? 
Sure. Um, so it's a, a new way to tell more of the story in terms of uh, creating some very interesting and beautiful visual uh, visual content. Um, and so great for photographers, videographers, integrating uh, into their portfolio. And a big growing part of our marketplace is uh, digital marketers. So digital marketers are always trying to find that next thumb-stopping experience to get someone's uh, attention on their social media feed or, or on social ads. And a cinemagraph is uh, really great at doing that because of that juxtaposition between moving and still catches someone's attention, and obviously that makes an effective ad. What kind of skill level would you have to have to, to use the app? Uh, skill level is a tripod, an iPhone, or a DSLR camera, and our app. Um, and obviously being good at uh, composing a good uh, photograph. And uh, the app hides all of the complexity of what would normally take hours or days in, in Photoshop or other editing tools that require a lot of uh, experience. And it's as simple as a swipe of your finger or a, a swipe with the brush uh, on the Mac. Well, it's kind of cool. Um, up on your website, and I've looked at uh, one of the photos here that you guys have obviously run through this. Uh, it's this guy jumping over a fire. It's a photo, so it's a still, but uh, with your app there, uh, you've made the fire, I guess, come alive. And in the background, it's uh, against the ocean, so you can see some of the waves uh, as well. So it kind of looks like half video, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. so the, the input and the output format is video, um, something also called micro videos, the short videos that loop over and over again. So the, up, the app helps you find that kind of nice, perfect, uh, perfect loop point, and then it just looks like this image that keeps looping over and over again that you can't really seamlessly uh, see. Uh, tell us about some of your other apps. Uh, sure. Um, I guess one of our other apps is uh, as a time-lapse app for Mac. Uh, it makes, uh, makes it really quick and easy, called per second, and makes it really quick and easy to, uh, to, uh, to take a series of images and turn them into a, a time-lapse video. Um, and I guess uh, and we're working on a, a few other things that we'll be announcing uh, later this year in the same type of space of, of uh, this micro video moving still. There's a lot of... Uh, a lot of amazing things that we can do uh, with digital imagery now that is not uh, just a one-to-one -one mapping between the, the, the analog version. So not just a photograph and not just uh, a, a full motion video. So that's what we're exploring. We're talking with Mark Pavlidis from Flixel. Uh, where can people find out more information about you guys? Uh, Flixel.com, uh, F-L-I-X-E-L, uh, flowing pixels, if it helps you remember, uh, dot com. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Let's switch gears now, and we've uh, got Graham with our App of the Week. What do we have? So this App of the Week is a bit of a throwback to one of the first apps that I bought on my iPhone. Well, actually, on my iPod Touch back in the day. Um, it is Camera Plus 2. So this is a rewrite of Camera Plus. Uh, so if you bought the previous version, you've got to buy this again. It's $3.99 on the App Store. But it is back. It's bigger, better, faster, stronger, and it is actually a really cool app. So if you've used any camera apps over the course of the last few years, you've seen a lot of really great features that have come out of them, manual controls, uh, raw capturing. Uh, these are things that, uh, you know, Camera Plus originally back in the day was one of the first ones to pioneer. It was also the first app to use the shutter button on the side of your camera or the, uh, the volume button as a shutter. Um, Apple actually uh, pulled the app on them uh, because of that feature and then promptly launched it in the next version of iOS, I think which was iOS 4, um, right after that. It was sort of an, in an interesting th thing. We've seen Apple do that a couple of times where somebody comes up, comes up with a neat hack and then suddenly it becomes part of the OS. So they've rebuilt this uh, right from the ground up. They're looking to basically have a platform for the next 10 years of mobile photography and it's got 
everything in the kitchen sink included in there. Manual controls, raw capture editing, depth editing if you've got a depth camera. So if you've got a, an iPhone 7 or 8 Plus or an iPhone 10, um, it'll do that. Uh, the iPhone 10 obviously in portrait mode as well. And it's got a ton of different shooting modes. The big feature here with Camera uh, Plus 2 is integration with the photo library. So it's now built right into uh, the photo library with integration or Lightbox just by tapping a button. So that is Camera Plus 2, and that is our app of the week. Thanks, Graham. Speaking of apps, don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show, every Sunday here on CKNW 980 at 10 a.m. from 10 to 11. And it goes out across the Chorus Radio Network as well. And it's all about the hottest and latest apps out there for smartphones, tablets, and smart TVs. So all the time we have left. I want to thank Graham Williams for coming in today. Mike and Graham signing off. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.